the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's a delight privilege uh, to bring back one of my favorite people in our our country, in our universe of uh, thought and commentary and analysis, and that is Bacha Ungar Sargon, among other things, the opinion editor at Newsweek. You can check him out at newsweek.com, author of several books, including Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. She had a piece in... um, in uh, she had a piece in the free press and then uh, did some stuff on Twitter X, what we call Twix, and uh, on the Republican Party and the contours within it that are kind of highlighted in sharp relief by the uh, candidacies of both Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. Wanted to delve a little deeper with Bacha. Bacha, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. How are you? It is so great to be here with you. This Thank is you. one of my favorite shows to do. Uh, you always make me feel like an intellectual schlepper because you're so on the ball and you're so smart and so educated <laughs> oh, and it. so quick and so much better than I am oh at speaking very complex ideas and very highfalutin, <laughs> um, high-level intellectual <laughs> ideas and boiling them down and making them relevant to your listeners' oh lives. God. And I'm so no. honored to be here with you. I love doing this show. <laughs> I'm blushing. I mean, I wish I had your credentials. So uh, we'll just, uh, before we engage in mutual corruption, we'll press on. But thank you, Bacha. <laughs> You're wonderful. Thank you. I think the same of you, very much so. I'm sure that your listeners completely <laughs> agree with me, which is why I allowed myself to go on and on there. They're sitting there in their cars on their way home from work going, you tell him, girl, you tell him. <laughs> All right. We just made a commercial here. I think. Bacha. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can go on. All right. Let me let me try it this way. Um, am I right? Is there you, you have been writing about this. You've been talking about this for a long time. And a lot of others have, too. There's this palpable change, if not intellectually, certainly kind of by feel and by who's showing up and who's donating to the Republican Party when Donald Trump is at the top of it. Is it kind of are the contours of the distinctions are the changes kind of highlighted? Is that what you're getting at by these two candidacies, Nikki Haley's and Donald Trump's? Is that is that a fair way to put it to start? Yeah, um, my the piece was that I wrote was called um, Why GOP Voters Hate the GOP But right. Love Donald Trump. Right. And, you know, the argument that I made is that we've seen over the last 20 years a real realignment in American politics to where, you know, one time further ago, you know, the six years ago, seven years ago, the Democrats were really the party of the working class. Right. And the Republicans were the party of the college educated and the rich and the elites. Um, and today there's been a real reversal there. Uh, the Democrats base right now is really the college educated and the dependent poor, whereas the Republican base is actually the working class. So 75 percent of people living in um, Republican led districts 
live below the median income. Mm -hmm. And these working class voters are the people who have been left behind by a lot of the Democratic policies that we saw under Clinton and then carried through under Obama. These policies that truly push the idea that in order to deserve the American dream, you have to have a college degree. And if you don't, screw you. And, you know, what you saw really was I mean, the best example of this are the 10 million voters who right. voted for Obama twice and then who voted for Trump right. twice because right. they really felt that Trump provide an alternative. And so what happened was, is that, you know, before Trump, you had the Democrats, which was had become the party of the college educated elites. And then you had the Republicans who were still stuck in this kind of Reaganite model um, where they also pretty much signed on to the same neoliberal view that we should have um, a kind of free trade, free market, um, you know, um, pretty much open borders. Both sides were kind of into that at that point. Um, Chamber of Commerce, tax cut. That, that was what the Republicans represented. And so you had one party, the party of the highly educated elites, and then another party that was the party of the rich and the corporations. And no one's speaking to the 90 percent of Americans who are working class or middle class. And Trump really took an axe to that. Trump showed up and said, actually, we're going to have a trade war with China. Actually, we're going to police this border. Actually, we're going to get rid of NAFTA. Right. He, he got rid of all of this stuff. He said, no, we got to make a, a, an economy that works for the working class. And, you know, the dividends were really, really clearly there. You they, people felt they felt that spiritually they felt recognized. They felt that their struggle was recognized. They felt that the fact that they had been left behind by Clinton and Obama was recognized. You know, and he put money in their pockets. And so they became suddenly it was like, oh, wow, we can have a political leader who recognizes our humanity and who wants to create an America that gives us dignity. That's what he represented to them. But they really hate the GOP because to them, the GOP is that party of Reagan that was catering to the rich and pimping them out and pimping out their social conservatism in order to make rich people richer. And so what you have right now is the GOP whose donor class is still totally in that model. All they care about is tax cuts. And they love Nikki Haley because she completely agrees with them about this free market, chamber of commerce, foreign intervention, let's get involved in every war. Um, and that's who the donor class wants to see in office. The problem is, is that the voter base has totally moved on from that. They have three major concerns, and they are, number one, immigration. They don't want a flood of illegal migrants, 10 million illegal migrants, competing with them for working class jobs. Number two, they don't want to see any more foreign entanglements or failed foreign wars that their children go and die for while the rich get richer here off of Raytheon. And number three, I would say, is a market, a, a, a marketplace trade that actually prioritizes the dignity of their labor the way that Trump is really good at doing. Um, so you, there, there you have it. You have a, a Republican voter base that hates the Republican Party and a Republican donor base that is still trying to, to play that old game of tax cuts and free markets and foreign interventions at the expense of its voters. Um, Bacha Unger-Sargon is our guest, opinion editor at Newsweek, and uh, among other things, author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Bacha, is there a case to be made that some of this 
is also temperament and what is spoken to. For example, Donald Trump seems to have picked up something Reagan did by speaking to concerns that previous Republicans had left out. You and I may have different views of the Reaganite view of the economy on some of this stuff, but Reagan was equally equally comfortable with blue collar the way Donald Trump is in a way that you didn't get from perhaps – Maybe I can move you a little bit to my side on this that you saw maybe from the Bush and Ford wings of the Republican Party, maybe. But but it is interesting, isn't it, that he speaks to a concern that no one else has figured out how to speak to when it's obviously very palpably and, tan- and, and tangibly there with the working class. So um, uh, <laughs> uh, we get you back a little bit here, but I'm a little too young to remember what. Uh, no, 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 like that's okay. On no, interpersonal no, that's level. okay. But the notion that there was a Reagan Democrat, <laughs> as much as there is that there is a Trump Democrat, he has brought over Democrats because he's speaking to their actual real life concerns. He's trying to trying to make their lives a little bit easier, and people just haven't talked to them in a long time. The, I think that's exactly yeah, right. Like yeah. people think people like to say that you know the Democrats. You know, that all of these suburban voters are, are Democrats, you know, who used to be Democrats mm-hmm. as the working class. Right. And I think he's he's bringing over a lot of That's Hispanic right. yeah. voters. He's bringing over a lot of black voters. You're going to see surprising black turnout for Donald Trump. I, it's one of the things that I feel pretty confident about, um, because, first of all, everything that they're doing to Trump. I mean, that's how black people see their experience being unfairly targeted by by the FBI, by the justice system. Right. right? Like, you know, mugshots where they feel humiliated, like that the establishment is trying to humiliate them and take away their masculinity and so forth. And so they that 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 is a very common experience in certain corners of the black community. And, uh, you know, uh, to say nothing of the uh, economic accomplishments, um, you know, at the end of the day, black voters, Hispanic voters are disproportionately represented in the work. Working class and the working class sees in him a champion, and that go that transcends race. I mean, the real divide in this country, as we talk about all the time, is not politics, it's not class, it's not race, it's about class, and it's about whether you have that college degree that gives you a fair shot at the American dream or whether you don't, and are, you know, sidelined to jobs that the people in power consider to be humiliating jobs, and so they they want them essentially. I mean, the the, the Democrats' economic platform right now seems to be, um, we're going to offshore all manufacturing to China, we're going to import an entirely new working class to work as slaves in the service economy. That's and we're going to then pay everybody else, you know, universal basic income not to work, to stay home and not work. And that is not what working class people want. Yes. It's and and we have to say something about security and policing and safety, too. Let me take it. Can you stay one more segment? I got to take a quick commercial. But are you good for that? Thank you, Bacha. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Bacha Unger Sargon. Follow her on Twitter. Read her stuff over at Newsweek or wherever she writes. And she writes prolifically in a lot of different places. Bacha Unger Sargon. And I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That is the beautiful double and triple tonguing of Al Hurt and the uh, beautiful and smart Pacha Unger Sargon is our guest and um, the voice you will hear is hers. Pacha, in talking about this new Republican Party, I'm trying to kind of make a case that there are elements of it that reach back as far back as to say something like, 
William Buckley's run for mayor in New York in the 60s or Barry Goldwater's candidacy in, 19, in the, uh, the year before that, where they are talking about working class issues like crime or drugs or welfare or education. And it seems to me Trump is really picking up where some of those what's the word I want to use populist notions used to be kind of part and parcel the essence of the conservative movement. And I don't know whether populist is a dirty word or not anymore. I just don't know. But maybe you can straighten me out on that. But they are talking to the kinds of things that people just feel CNN has forgotten about, half of Fox has forgotten about, MSNBC is trying to cram down their throats. It's almost a cultural thing as much as it is an economics thing. Is that fair? It's so interesting you brought that up. Um, You're like one of the few people I can talk to about this because you're totally going to get what I'm about to say. (laughs) Um, um, I hope it's not too in the weeds for um, your listeners. But one of the things that really woke me up from my stupor, my political stupor, was a 2017 survey that came out that found that if you break up the American populace into exactly what you're describing, you have the economic access. And then you have the kind of social cultural access. Yeah, yeah. What you find is, is that a third of Americans are what we would call socially liberal, economically liberal. They want big government involved in economic decisions and they want a lot of freedom, um, socially liberal. Um, a third of Americans are socially conservative and economically conservative, meaning that they have conservative values mm-hmm. and they want that kind of small government, yeah. right? Like, uh, right, what we were describing before, yeah. tax cuts, yeah. free markets, etc. Yeah. Another third of the country or quarter, 25 to 30 percent, are populist. Okay. So they are socially conservative, yeah. but they are economically much more progressive they want big government involved in making decisions about economics but they are socially more conservative and then guess what's left over for the 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 libertarian corner which is socially socially liberal and economically conservative (laughs) three percent right they have no constituency in america (laughs) so for the longest time what you had was that was where the republican party was representing three percent of americans they were very libertarian in nature and then you had the democrats representing 33 percent of americans that was the status quo before donald trump showed up Donald Trump showed up and spoke directly to that populist quadrant, the 25 percent of Americans who are totally not represented on either side. Here's the problem with this breakdown, Seth. Okay, this Mm -hmm. is what makes it very complicated. Trump's policies are not progressive economically. They are protectionist. So he doesn't believe in expanding the welfare state and neither do working class people. They all know people who are scamming the system and they hate it. What they want, what they mean by social, what they mean by economically progressive or economically liberal is that they want an economy that works for the working class. And Trump just freaking hacked that. He just figured out what they needed. They needed trade policy that worked for them. They needed a border that protected them. Mm -hmm. You know, like he just hacked it in a way that neither party was doing. Neither party was speaking to them. The Democrats party is totally geared towards the poor. And the Republican was totally geared towards the rich. And he figured out how to speak to these people. But they, it, they, what they mean by economically liberal would not be recognizable to a Democrat, which is why they don't vote for the Democrats. Now let's talk about the social conservatism. Okay. So we talk about Trump's voters as though they're socially conservative. But what we they are, in a way, they're more conservative than the woke liberals. 
But the thing is, Seth, and here's where it gets so interesting. When you talk to Trump voters, the thing they love about Trump is to that to them, he's a liberal yeah. or at least a moderate. Yeah. They like that he's moderate yeah. on, on abortion. They like that he's pro-gay. They like that he's trying to appeal to black voters. So to them, as conservatives, they like what they see in him, which is his kind of liberalism almost. And it's so amazing because to liberals, Trump looks like an extremist. Right. But to his voters, he looks like a liberal. And they love that about him because there is nobody on this planet more tolerant than the American working class. These are deeply tolerant humbled people who understand that life is not worth living if you don't have tolerance for your neighbor, whatever their choices are. So when I was reporting my next book, which comes out in April, second class, what I found was that the vast majority of working class people I spoke to, whether they were Democrats or Republicans, whether they were Christians or seculars, they were all extremely pro-gay, but very worried about the woke agenda. Mm -hmm. They were very, very anti-immigration, but they all wanted some sort of universal health care, right? Mm -hmm. That's who the populist voter is. They are all very anti-abortion. They would never get an abortion, but they are very anti-banning abortion Mm -hmm. because who am I to judge what that woman needs to make for her decisions? This is the American working class, and they see in Trump a champion because he is, you know, and it's so funny because he is in that quadrant. He is speaking to that quadrant. They They would call themselves conservatives, but what they mean by conservatism is actually something like a, an extreme tolerance. It's very, very complex, and it, it, it's very intuitive to them. But nobody is like speaking about this because nobody will speak to them. So interesting, and it makes me want to ask this question, if I could, Bacha. You know, there have been a lot of, um, I would say, premature obituaries of the Republican Party because of Donald Trump. A lot of these former Republican conservative types in Washington and New York who have, saying, who have said things like Trump is the end of the Republican Party. You know the type of person I'm talking about. Bacha, I almost wonder, listening to you, if you're not issuing a thesis that maybe the Democratic Party is on the verge of collapse because it seems like on all these issues – They've practically just kind of given up. Certainly, if you're looking at this White House and what they're doing about any of the things you talked about, whether it's making life easier on the working and poor, whether it's um, the borders and whether it's illegal immigration, whether it's foreign policy that doesn't require adventurism abroad but shows that America is not to be messed around with or her allies, it's as if the Democratic Party has kind of thrown up its hands and said, we're the ones who are the exhausted volcano. Is that possibly it within your, your, your the working thesis? So the Democrats have of a Democrat producing factory, which means that they will pretty much always be guaranteed at least Colleges. a quarter of. Yes, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, it's the yeah, universities, yeah, right? Yeah, like it's literally yeah, a factory yeah. for producing liberals, which is, of yeah. course, why somebody like Bernie Sanders or AOC wants there to be free college, yes, right? Yes. Instead of like free trade school, which would actually help the nation. Um, so I, I think that, you know, they're pretty much assured that they, they'll, they'll always have that sort of the top 20 percent, right, will always vote for the Democrats, because once you go to college, you come. Basically, our universities no longer produce knowledge. They produce contempt they pr- for the working class. They produce right? Democrats so, and leftists. Yep. That's yep. the what's the, I want you and your family to come here to Phoenix so I can have you in studio for three hours. I love talking to you and it's <laughs> never enough, Bacha. So thank you for making time agreed, for us. Please agreed. Come, agreed. Please come out here. Agreed. To the mid bar, the other mid bar. Okay. <laughs> Bacha Unger Sargon has been our guest. Her book is 
it is most recently bad news how woke media is undermining democracy. Read her works and the works that she helps assemble and edit at Newsweek.com. Follow her on Twitter, X, Twix, Bunger, Sargon. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. If you um, haven't checked it out yet, please go to our website, 960thepatriot.com. We're doing a wonderful event, March 26, Fighting for Freedom, an evening with 960 Patriot hosts. That will include me. That will include Officer Tatum, Brandon Tatum. It will include the great Mike Gallagher. March 26th, um, and we'll do some giveaways uh, too, but uh, get your tickets soon. We're keeping the audience uh, size deliberately small so uh, we can have more interaction uh, with uh, the um, the speakers and uh, y'all. And uh, we'll have, uh, it'll, it'll just be great to see you. And young David will be there too. Young David, did you want to say a word or two about uh, Bacha Unger Sargon's interview with me? <laughs> I, I, I thought she brought us some excellent points, particularly in the second segment. I have talked a lot about this with our friend Mr. Bill over there in the other room, and it seems to me that there is a new generation of – I don't even know if I want to say Republicans. I don't know if I want to identify as conservatives, but a new generation of voters who are politically motivated who tend to be – who tend to feel represented by Donald Trump. And it seems that this generation has, in a sense, I, I don't know how socially conservative they are. I think they, as she said, I think they like the fact that he has some uh, liberal track records. Of course, we forget that uh, Donald Trump was a, was a 90s Democrat. And I've had friends that are like, oh, well, he's just, he's just a 90s Democrat. I can get behind that. And, you know, I, I brought this up with you before. It's like, I, I, I couldn't. I'm not behind a Clinton Democrat. And I just think that there is a small portion, well, maybe not so small anymore, but a portion of a new, young, politically motivated populace who feels motivated by Donald Trump and who probably self-identifies as populist before, say, conservative or Republican, who has almost, you could say, given up some of the moral majority issues of the 80s and 90s. It's a tough, tough issue that you're raising and that she's raising, and it's not easily answered except for one part of it, which may explain the whole thing, and it's this. There are, she's right, vastly different interests within the Republican Party or the conservative movement, whether it's the more libertarian or the most socially conservative or the more or the more economically conservative. And the social conservatives in this country for many, 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 many years were Democrats. For many, many years, they were Democrats. If you look at what Jerry Falwell was doing in 1976, or for that matter, um, Paul Wyrick, what became the moral majority, they were supporting Jimmy Carter in 1976. Southern Baptist him being a born-again Southern Baptist helped in that regard. Um, but if you read Barry Goldwater's book, Conscience of a Conservative, or if you look at Bill Buckley's candidacy for the mayor in 1965, or if you look at Ronald Reagan's candidacy in 1980, 
they represented social conservatism too. It wasn't the vast part of the Republican Party. Your Rockefellers didn't. Your Nixons didn't care too much about it one way or the other. Your Fords certainly didn't. And and so Reagan kind of was the pre-Trump. He did appeal to the working class. Macomb County, Michigan was the example of the Reagan Democrat. He brought in a lot of these, and many of them were devout Catholics, brought into the Democratic Party. But they all spoke to the things Donald Trump speaks to, crime, welfare. I mean, my gosh, Reagan and Buckley on welfare and crime, those were probably the lion's share of their speeches on domestic policy were about those issues. Isn't that what Donald Trump speaks to? Um, And then on the economic front, yes, far more economically geared towards supply-side economics. But you know what? There's this funny thing about Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan when it comes to economics. The policies aren't that different. The policies aren't that different. Reagan imposed trade quotas. It's just that China wasn't the problem then. It was Japan, and he did it on Japan. Reagan had tax cuts. Guess who had the biggest tax cut since Reagan? Donald Trump. Because of the Jack Kemp notion that you cannot make life easier on the working class by making it harder on the employer class. Let me pick up on that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Fighting for Freedom, March 26th, an evening with Mike Mike Gallagher, myself, Brandon Tatum, Officer Tatum, and y'all. Q&A. It's going to be great. We're keeping it uh, deliberately small, so you want to get your tickets. Uh, and we'll do a ticket giveaway. We'll give away a free pair of tickets. Here's what to do to enter for a free pair of tickets. Send an email to my producer, David Dahl. D. Dahl, easy to remember. It's not like Liebson. Dahl is blessedly simple. <laughs> D. Dahl. Like a baby doll. Yeah. At Salem, PHX. Dot com. Easy to do. Ddoll at SalemPHX.com. Just put something like FFF or Fighting for Freedom yes, in the subject that's line. that's great. FFF in the subject line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Email me. Yeah, and we'll let you, you know on go, Friday, right? We'll give out a pair of tickets each week. Yeah, we'll do yeah, it we'll every have Friday. We'll figure out if we're doing, doing Fridays or Mondays or how we're, how we're doing I think Fridays. Right? It's a nice Friday we thing. It's a nice Friday. Collect all the emails and raffle them together. Yeah. And when you give us your email, you enter that raffle. Yep. You can learn more about it at 960thepatriot.com. I think we'll give them away on Fridays because it'll be a nice thing to give people on Fridays. And uh, as I say, we're keeping it somewhat small. So uh, get your tickets now if you're not willing to wait till Friday for the gratis pair of tickets. Um, Okay, so back to this issue that is so seemingly difficult, but I think not really. Social conservatism in the Republican Party, economic libertarianism in the Republican Party. I have long held the thesis, write about this in the book American Greatness, that Donald Trump is not that much of a departure really from the Buckley, Goldwater, Reagan lineage of conservatism. Some of the spokes have changed, but the hub is effectively the same. And so when it came to unfair trade practices that were killing 
the working class. The issue in Reagan's day wasn't China, it was Japan. And he slapped tariffs on things like um, motorcycles, on things like microchips. Um, When it comes to taxes, he understood, as Trump did, that you cannot make life easier on the employee class by making it tougher on the employer class. It's hard to blame Reagan for tax cuts when you have Trump with his tax cuts. Um, When it comes to foreign policy, roughly the same. Roughly the same. They both pacified the world. As George Will put it, Ronald Reagan took the American people on a clipper ship through the most choppy of waters. He calmed the people and the water. Now, there was a lot of antagonism towards Reagan, and one wonders if there were an internet or social media back then what it would look like, if it would look like something akin to what they do to Donald Trump. But I certainly remember the mass protests against Reagan. I certainly remember the comparisons to Hitler. I certainly remember people etching shadowy chalk figures on the grounds in Moss as if he was going to create another Hiroshima. I certainly remember the gas masks and the faux gas masks people wore when he put Pershings in Europe, Pershing two missiles in Europe. I remember all that. One wonders in the Internet age what that would look like differently. Also— Poch is right. The Democrats have a Democrat-making machine called the colleges and the universities. They're different now than they were in the 80s. In the 80s, they were probably 70 to 80 percent liberal. Today, they're 79 percent leftist. And another 15 percent liberal. <laughs> That's what they are. Um But all of this became very clear to me when I was working with Rick Santorum when he was running for president in 2012. When he was running for 2012, Rick Santorum represented a social conservatism in this country and believing Catholic and all that, practicing Catholic and all that. And you know what got the greatest standing ovations at the social conservative values voters auditoriums and events? It's when he was talking about America and keeping America strong. There was a debate I was watching. There was a debate I was watching between David French and my old professor, Charles Kessler, who's the head of the Claremont Review of Books in 2016. And French was totally anti-Trump as a conservative, and Kessler was pro-Trump as a conservative. And David French is not an idiot. I disagree with him on so many things, but he's not an idiot. He was an accomplished attorney. And Charles Kessler is certainly as as great an public intellectual as, as, as you get, Professor Claremont. And David French spoke first and went through this litany of why Donald Trump should not be representative of the conservative movement, the Republican Party, and turned to Charles and said, so, Charles Kessler, what do you have to say on behalf of Donald Trump and conservatism and the Republican Party? And Charles Kessler said, after this huge litany of David French unloading and unleashing on Donald Trump, Charles Kessler simply said, 
He wants to make America great again. Enough said. Enough said. People care about this country, damn it. And they're tired of seeing it run down, damn it. And that includes our cities. That includes what's going on in urban areas. It includes what's going on with the drug crisis. It includes what's going on with the immigration crisis. If you don't have a border, you don't have a country. It couldn't be more simple to me than that. It includes the economy. Of course, if you can't feed your family, you're not very proud of your country, are you? Or you're not very much in love with it, at least, are you? If you can't walk safely on the streets at night, you're not very much in love with your community, are you? And they had a way of making your Goldwaters, your Buckleys, your Reagans, your Trumps, made a way of making you feel like we truly are all in this together, that the community is the country. We are one country. They spoke to that. It wasn't they who did the divisions. As the social conservative issues come and go, uh, David, I don't I don't know where Donald Trump exactly is on the abortion issue. I don't know what he goes to bed thinking about with regard to it at night or thinks about it waking up in the morning. I knew where Ronald Reagan was. But Donald Trump may have done more for the pro-life cause in many respects than Ronald Reagan. As for the gay thing, I think Reagan and Trump were in the same place. They didn't talk about Reagan came from Hollywood. That was not an issue for him. And Trump came from New York. It was not an issue for him. And most people in the conservative movement were happy to engage the deal with the homosexual rights community, which was you will have perfectly equal civil rights with us. Just leave the institutions alone. That was the deal. The woke broke it, but that was the deal. And we were on board with it. And I think still are on board with it today. You see that from the old guard civil rights movement of the gay community, your John Rouse's, John Rouse's and Andrew Sullivan's. Okay, it's that simple. It's about America. Welcome back to the Seth Leap. <laughs> I got into a big. Yeah, I know. I did. I was talking with our GM this morning about my name, right? Yeah. You were part of that. We got it was. <laughs> it's not an easy name. I for those of you that have difficulty with it, clearly I, I do have too. A solution to your problems. What? Welcome back to the David Dahl show. Yeah. Much better. It, it, it's easier. It, rolls yeah. off the tongue. Alliteration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bam. There yeah. you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the David Dahl show where Seth leaps and helps from time to time. Portions of this brought to you by our good friends at Y Refi, a secure investment that actually helps people, where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. And it's not correlated to the Federal Reserve or the stock market. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. Absolutely no fees. No attack on principle if you ever need your money back. And you get a monthly statement, of course, with no surprises in this secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. I have so many notes I want to go over with you, David. Hmm. We have Brandon coming. We have to talk. We may have to save it for tomorrow. We have to talk about leftovers because you don't understand what they are. Okay, fine. We we have to talk about whatever you want. We got two, three minutes. We have to talk. We have to talk about your kilt, which you received. Gotten a kilt. You cooked a new dish that you're going to put up on Instagram. Yeah, we're working on the edits right now. And we've got that one for sure. And we've got to talk about your epic fail (laughs) in attempting to go to Trader Joe's. All of which. 
All of which is really on you. Let's fire do, away. Well, fire away. We love Trader Joe's. We had a long conversation about it. Yes, we've had Trader Joe's. I even but you I texted even got me some yes good, uh, some good uh, audio effects. Yeah, you text. I will get you over your Trader Joeophobia. Yeah, you texted me yesterday that you had a, a miserable experience there yesterday. I said it's you know if I keep going. Maybe I'll finally get over this, but boy, is it something. Even, right. you know, I was going there on right. Sunday afternoon, and it's crowded. Epic and fail. It's crazy. Epic fail on your part. You, oh, don't go to, you don't go to Trader Joe's on Sunday. Never on a Sunday. Never we learned on that. Sunday. We learned that from Zorba the Greek. You yes. need to learn it for Trader Joe's. Never on a Sunday. Any other day of the week is fine. I believe that's a song as well. Uh, Monday, Monday. Okay. Monday, Monday. Then uh, we got a tomorrow we'll talk about leftovers and kilt and cooking because we do have the great uh, Brandon Weikert coming right up. Uh, again, 960thepatriot.com to get tickets for our Fighting for Freedom event with Mike Gallagher, myself, and Brandon Tatum. Uh, 960thepatriot.com to get that. And if you want to enter to win a free pair of tickets, email David Dahl. Dahl at salemphx.com and we'll let you know by Friday. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.